0: knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? One, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is me. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you, with you all, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus, because of my coming to you again. This is
1: the word of the Lord. He's be to God. God. Thank you, Ann, and uh, thank you all for being here this morning again. If it's your first time here, I'd be uh, delighted to meet you after the service. My name is Gray, and uh, if it's your first time here, it's intimidating to come into a new space, but I hope that you are warmly welcomed this morning. We are studying the book of Philippians together. Uh, this is our second week in the series. Paul's letter to the Philippians is his gentlest his most encouraging, um, his most one-liner heavy uh, book or letter that he wrote. And so there's so many uh, good things in the book of Philippians, so many encouraging things. And what we want to look at today is Paul's Freedom with which he approached the Christian life. There's so many themes in the uh, the number of verses that we read today. But what I want to pick up on is this theme of his freedom that he has in Christ, and I hope that it's an encouragement to us. Let's pray before we dive in. Ask for God's help, Father. It is for freedom we have been set free. The gospel is good news, and I pray that it would come this morning to those who need it, all of us, in other words, who long for Christ to set us free, to not be in bondage to a reputation or to desires or to a will or to a need to have something, but all of us this morning have a desire for ultimate freedom. And I pray that we would find it in Christ, the freedom to live, the freedom to die, or whatever may come, to see Christ as preeminent, as the most valuable treasure, as the most precious thing. And so we ask for your help by your spirit this morning, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Talked about this movie before, um, but... It bears repeating. The, the movie is stranger than fiction, and uh, it's kind of a silly movie. It stars Will Ferrell, um, and, you know, there's, there's lots of laughing moments, but I think it's more profound than people give it credit for. So if you haven't seen the movie, Will Ferrell plays the character Harold Crick. And Harold is caught in a life of bondage to his own need to control. Uh, he lives a life of stagnant repetition. In the opening scene, you see that he works at the, the IRS. Um, he is he is OCD. He, he brushes his each tooth 76 times. Um, he files 7.134 tax returns a day on average. Um, he takes a 4.3% minute coffee break that he times on his watch. And, uh, and so other than that, he is this sad character who, uh, who lives in solitude um, until he discovers that his life is a story. And he discovers that through a voice of narration, comes in from nowhere and starts narrating his life. It's this British woman's voice. And she's saying, this is what Harold did next, and this is what Harold uh, thought about. And and he realizes now he can hear uh, the narration of his own life. And, um, And although it freaks him out at first, he begins to use this voice as a way to change. And to start living in more freedom. And I was thinking about that this week because there's really two stages to his freedom that he experiences. The first freedom that he experiences is that in life, he can be free. He realizes that he doesn't have to be tied to his watch. He loosens up. He, he falls in love. He learns to play the guitar. He, he forgets about uh, the, you know, the, the importance of work being everything and, and so he finds a freedom in life. And so far, that's a typical American movie, right? That, that you know, you have these bondage, you have, you have these things that control your time, and then now learn freedom. You can walk away from any of those things and be free. There's freedom in life. No regrets. Not a bad message, but a very typical message. But there's a second freedom that Harold Crick also receives in the movie. After he walks in this freedom for a while, he then discovers where the story is going. That this story ends with his inevitable death. And so the narration tells him, this woman's voice says, this is going to set off an inevitable chain of events that leads to Harold Crick's death. In fact, that's what the story requires. Harold goes to see a literature expert and so, who reads the story, and he says, look, Harold, you got to die. You got to serve the story by giving up your life. And of course, like the first time, Harold freaks out. But then he learns to accept a new freedom, the freedom to walk into his own death, because that's what the story requires. He submits. He learns the freedom of life, and then he learns the freedom of death. And In both cases, he's walking away from a grip on control. He's walking away from a life that's like, I have to have this, and I have to have this, and this is my safety, my grip on these things. That's his first life, and he walks away from that control, and he finds freedom. But then his control becomes, well, I have to preserve my life. I have to keep living in this freedom. And, and then he discovers the second freedom. He loosens his grip again. I don't even have to preserve my life. I think this is, relates to us because it's so true for all of us that we have some of those things that we like to have a tight grip on. There're certain things that we need to control. We need to see happen. We are basically bending our life toward accomplishing or seeing happen. And I want to ask the question, what are we gripping onto too tightly? Where is the sense of control so tight? How would you answer that question? Harold, learn to walk in the freedom, the freedom to live and then the freedom to die. And that's exactly what Paul is walking in when we meet him in prison. It's exactly his situation. In verse 20, he says this, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Whether I live or die I'm free. He has a goal beyond his own life. The goal is Christ. To live is Christ. To die is gain. To to gain, what does he gain? More of Christ. To live is to have Christ in the moment here, but to live in eternity is to have Christ in all abundance. And so, here's what I want us to see today. If you have Christ, you have freedom from any need to control. If you have Christ, you already have the thing that unlocks the freedom to not need to control all the other things. I love how Paul walks in this freedom in this passage. It's the progress of the gospel. There's an interesting little um, thing at the, at the beginning and the end of the passage. He says that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel And then at the end of our passage today, he says in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress. That's the same word as the first word. Your advancement in the gospel. And so what he's saying is the gospel is advancing out in the world, but I'm interested also in what's advancing in you. And he's showing them the kind of freedom that they can walk in that the gospel secures for them. What kind of freedoms are we talking about? Well, three things I want us to look at. First one is this, freedom from needing to control circumstances. The first kind of freedom that Paul walks in is freedom from needing to control circumstances. What are his circumstances? It's prison. Look at verse 12 with me. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, that's his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Okay, Paul's in prison. That is his circumstance. And what's interesting is that he's finding freedom in his imprisonment. Prison's not a good circumstance, obviously. Uh, It's not good that he's there, but think about this. It's not only not good that he's in prison, but think about what Paul could be doing. And surely that had to enter into his mind. We're talking about the Apostle Paul here. He's the most educated Christian. He's a living apostle. He's the most effective church planter. Even a modest person might border on this kind of prayer to God. I'm planting churches for you. Why are you letting me rot in prison? Think about what I could be doing. But Paul doesn't see his circumstances that way. He says, my imprisonment is serving the advancement of the gospel. It's my circumstances, they're so bad, but it, it's, God is using it. How is he using it? Well, a couple different ways. Both inside the prison and outside in the world. Inside the prison, he's saying this. Um, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. This is verse 13. And to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So he's seeing an immediate impact even in his surroundings. The, the gossip that's going around. Paul's in prison. Paul, this well-respected Jewish man. Paul, this well-educated man. Paul, this Roman citizen. He believes. He actually thinks that this Jesus of Nazareth is, uh, is the Savior. He's willing to be in prison for this. And it's spreading throughout the imperial guard. But not just inside. He says something is happening outside. Here's what's happening. Verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident... And the Lord, by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It's spreading outside. People are hearing about my imprisonment. And even though I'm not able to speak, what's happening is everywhere else, everybody's getting emboldened to speak the word of Christ. And so Paul is sitting here and he's he's able to say, I'm in prison, this is my circumstance, but I also see what God is doing something through me. Now, the promise of the Bible is not that you will always see those connections. It's not that you can always say, Well, this is exactly what God is doing. Paul was able to speculate. It's beautiful to speculate. Well, maybe what God is doing in my circumstance is this. Maybe um, you know I haven't gotten the job that I want because, um, you know, because God may be developing something in me, or maybe it would be bad for me and I don't even know it. And you can speculate about those things, but we never know the full impact of what God is doing in our lives. And Paul never even knew, even though he speculates, maybe this is what God's doing. He never knew the full impact that God is able to use his most trusted and prominent servant in prison that actually serves the spread of the gospel? Can you sit with this freedom? Whatever circumstance you're in, it doesn't matter how messed up it is, if you have Christ, you don't need to control the outcome of that circumstance. God is doing something. He's doing something in you. He's doing something around you. He's doing something through you. He's doing something despite you. But it's all for him. Our circumstances are under God's control, and we can walk in the freedom. Paul said, look, I want the gospel to spread, but it seems like it's spreading even though I'm in prison. So he had freedom from, the needing, from needing to control his circumstances. The second freedom is this. Freedom from needing to control The narrative. Now, this is the most surprising freedom. If you study the Apostle Paul, this section is somewhat baffling because there's a narrative going on that Paul is not in control of, and he seems totally chill about it. Here's what's happening. The gospel is going forward and people are becoming so bold. This Christian faith is spreading so much that people are are starting to notice and there's these enemies of Paul and they are also taking note and they are beginning to fight back. Look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in that every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. You see the circumstance here, the situation, the narrative. He says, some are preaching Christ out of goodwill and they're taking up the mantle. They see that I'm in prison. That's certainly happening. But there's this other group that are pressing an advantage, and they see that I'm in prison, and they want to to use that opportunity to try to deviously hurt the movement. And the surprising thing is that Paul seems totally chill about this. In fact, he's rejoicing. What does he mean that, that some are doing this out of selfish ambition in order to afflict him in prison? We, we really don't know, um, but there, we can speculate. Perhaps um, some are making the movement a little bigger so that others will take notice of it and then it will, the, the crushing will be greater, not unlike how in our day sometimes political parties will hype up a candidate on the other side of the row, so to speak, in a primary so that they can then crush them in a general election. This happens all the time. So for a time, they're helping the opponent, but then they crush them later. That's the idea perhaps here. Perhaps that's what's going on, is that there are those who are preaching Christ, and and they're trying to get the powers that be to take note of it. Or perhaps they're just irritating Paul because he knows, and they know that he knows that they're devious, and yet they keep doing this. We don't know how it's hurting Paul necessarily. But how is it that he is rejoicing in this? How is it that he's rejoicing? Well, a couple of caveats before we answer that question. The first one is this. Paul is not saying that it's morally okay to preach Christ out of selfish ambition, rivalry, deceit. He's not saying that he's okay with them doing that. In fact, the words that are used here are used elsewhere by Paul himself to talk about false teachers. He says they preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Those two words appear in lots of lists in the New Testament. For instance, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, That's the same word as rivalry. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. That's the same word he uses in our passage. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is not giving a moral pass to those who preach out of envy or strife. These words also appear in Romans chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 6, and they're all talking about false teachers. Paul is not okay with false teaching. He's not saying that the intent of the preacher doesn't matter. He's also not saying that the content of the gospel doesn't matter. If they were getting the gospel wrong, these enemies, then Paul would have no Uh, reason to not fight them publicly, as he often does. Also in the book of Galatians, when he fights those who say you have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian, he fights that because it's an opposition to the gospel content. But here, apparently his enemies are preaching Christ. They're doing so from false motives, but they're, they're actually preaching Christ. And so Paul lets them. Or at least he sits back and understands what is happening without going ballistic. So he's not saying that the intentions don't matter. And he's not saying that the false teachers out there can say whatever they want. What is he saying? Why is he rejoicing? He's trusting in God for the narrative, for the Christian truth. God knows how Christ's name is spreading. He's in control of that. Paul is able from his prison cell to walk in freedom because he doesn't have to control the narrative that that God has over the world. Do you see how powerful that freedom is? Once we have Christ, we don't have to control the narrative. It doesn't matter what thing or ambition we have, what desires, what passions, what missions, what burdens we carry. At the end of the day, we have this freedom. God will do what he will do. He will advance his gospel. He will accomplish his purposes. He will bring me life or death in his time And it's not the case that what we do doesn't matter. That's not the point that I'm making. Paul would never make that case. He did so much for the advancement of the gospel. And once he's free, he's going to keep planting churches and he's going to keep trusting God to to accomplish his purposes. But he's also going to work hard. But at the same time, he has this inner freedom. There's narratives out there about, about me and I'm not in control of them. What if it wasn't your responsibility to control the narrative outside of you, about you? Can you imagine the freedom if you weren't tweaking what other people think about you all the time or how they might perceive you? Not to. To the extent that we can, we, we want to promote the truth and we want to walk you know, well before others so that they see our good works and give thanks to God. We, it, reputation matters, but freedom matters too. And some of us are in the grip of needing to control narratives that happen in our lives and wanting other people to do certain things and wanting them to act certain ways. And I love Paul's freedom where he says, even the thing that's most precious to him, the the advancement of the gospel, what his whole life is about. He's like, God has that. He has that narrative. What if we have that freedom? The third freedom is this. Freedom from needing to control impact. Paul will make an impact But he's okay if it's with his life or his death. Look at verse 18 with me and following. At the end, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul is really saying two things at one time. He's talking about his trial. Literally, his trial. His upcoming trial legal trial. He's also talking about the trials that we face as Christians, and he's bringing them in on this. But he has a trial coming up. And he's saying, actually, I expect to win my trial. I expect deliverance. That's what he says, interestingly, in verse 19. An interesting play on words. This will turn out for my deliverance. The word deliverance, there's the same word for salvation. Salvation. This will turn out for my salvation. And what he means in a double sense, right, is I could be delivered from the authorities or I could be delivered from this world and killed. Both turn out for my salvation. But he says, I expect that I will be delivered from this. I will win the trial. Christ will be honored though by my body. Whether it's a living body or a dead one. What I hope and pray and expect is that I will have the courage, he says, to not be ashamed. So when I go to the trial, what I hope and expect and pray will happen is that my courage for Christ will be on display. But I recognize that that could end in multiple ways. He says, I could live for your sake or I could die for Christ's sake. I'd prefer to be with Christ, he says, personally. Why would Paul prefer to be with Christ? Later in the book of Philippians, he's going to say that Christ is the prize of his life. He wants the prize. I want to finish the race. I want to end it. But he's also at the same time saying, for your progress, for your advancement in the faith, I believe that God has me here for a little while longer, which turned out to be exactly right. He's letting God control the impact of his life. His impact could end right here. Or it could continue for years whatever God wants. And do you see the freedom that he's walking in here? The freedom that's available when you have Christ. That whether you live or you die, Christ is honored and your life has purpose. And it puts everything into perspective. All the things that we want, all the things that we think that we need, That we see the temporariness of it. The the gift of the things that God gives us. Yes, there are gifts. There is marriage. There is family. There is success. There is recognition. There is fame. There is retirement. There's travel. There's being well spoken of. There's having an impact. There's having a, a good work environment. There's the feeling of significance. And all of these things are good. But if you have Christ... You can have those things or not have them, and still have what you need, and still live a life of impact. You don't have to control those things. Paul's able to have thanksgiving for what is, but hope for what is to come. That's where his hope is. His thanksgiving is for whatever he has. I'd be happy to serve you longer, Philippians. I'd be happy for your sake to live longer, but if I don't, then I'll have what I really want which is Christ. How do we have, or how do we get the freedom that Paul has here? He has one thing that unlocks this freedom. One person, that is. You have to have Christ in order to have this freedom. I think Harold Crick learned freedom in life, and he learned freedom in death and it's a good movie, but I don't understand his why. I don't understand where he got that need to live freely and die freely. Is it just to serve some story that he didn't even know he was a part of? That's empty. Paul's why is Christ. It's all through the passage. That's the reason why he's able to say these things. That's the reason why he's able to live or able to die. Because he already has the prize. Look, he says it all the way throughout. Verse 13, he has Christ. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. That's his circumstance. My circumstance is for Christ. And then he says in verse 18... What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. That's the narrative. The imprisonment is for Christ, the narrative is for Christ. What about the impact? Verse 21 To me, live is Christ, and to die is gain, because it's more Christ. He has the full deck. He has the winning hand. Imagine you're playing a game of poker, and on the very first deal, you get handed your cards, and it's a royal flush. It's a royal flush of spades, which is the highest suite. There's nothing higher. How do you play? How do you play the game? You play in complete freedom. You yawn. You relax. You look around. <laughs> you put all the chips in. You play differently when you have the highest hand. When nothing you know can actually be taken from you. That's the freedom that Paul has. That's what having Christ is like. To have Him is to have everything to play with the full hand. And everything else can come and go. And everything else can can be thanksgiving or sorrow or grief. And those things are all important. But in the end, if you have Christ, you have everything. And that's what gives you that freedom. Our friend Elizabeth, who died a couple years ago of cancer, terrible. She had young children. Terrible circumstance, terrible loss, terrible grief on her family and all those of us who knew her. But her grip on Christ was strong. And she spent her final years in ministry with her husband and and care for her family and the church. And then she died and she got to be with Christ. And that was far better for her. And her husband wrote a book, And the title, I think, tells us what this passage tells us. Either way, we'll be all right. And he wrote it during her sickness. And he said, you know what? People keep telling us, well, God can't take her life. She's so precious. And they came to the conclusion, either way, we'll be all right. Her life is precious. Her ministry was precious. Her ministry to her kids was precious, but her trust in Christ was the grip that she was holding on to. And they are all right because they all have Christ. And he talks about the difference between hoping for something and hoping in something. All of us can hope for something. We can hope for healing. We can hope for a spouse. We can hope for a better job. We can hope for a good retirement. We can hope for all kinds of good things. But there's a difference between hoping for and hoping in. We don't need a grip on any of those things to have everything we need. Our grip must be firmly on Christ. What is it that grips us? What would it look like to have a grip on Christ so strong that the grip on everything else is released? The need for control goes away. We get to that question for ourselves by asking us this ourselves this, what is it that I have to have that isn't Christ? What is it that I have to have? What do you hope to happen? What do you hope to possess? What do you hope will eventually come to pass. And what if you didn't get it? What if it was lost to you? Even if it's a precious and good thing. The task is for us to walk in the freedom that Paul has by continually putting Christ in every aspect of our lives. He recognized that his circumstances were about Christ. He recognized that the narrative that was happening, even his own mission was about Christ. He recognized that whether he lived or died, it was about Christ. And when you have a grip on Christ and you strengthen that grip on him, all the other things get a little less tight, a little less need to control. Let's pray.